Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, hello, wherever and whenever you are, and welcome to Stories of Your and Yours. My name is Sean Ennis, and today we will take a bit of a different perspective on stories, one from which some of us are a little bit further away than others. So let's kick off this episode the way we always do, with an iTunes review. Such an Inspiring Podcast by Britta Lancast. I've always loved to read fun stories of all kinds and genres, so when I found this podcast I was so excited to listen and it was definitely worth my time. They use fun sound effects to enhance the quality of the stories they read, which makes them all the more exciting. I definitely recommend this podcast if you love all different types of short stories and tales. Well, thank you so much, Britta, for the kind words. If you want to show your support and have your review read on the show, make sure you leave that review on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts. Many thanks indeed to those who have left reviews so far. And speaking of supporting the show, we've got a new patron. Thank you so much to Stacy, who's become a patron at the Weaver of Yarns level. Now that gets her all the stories of your and yours gear, it gets her into an upcoming story, and it gets her early access to every episode, in addition to all the bonus content that I've put out. If you'd like to become a patron, you can visit patreon.com slash syypodcast or bit.ly slash support syy and choose whichever tier suits you best. Thank you so, so much to all of the patrons of the show and to all the listeners. Your support means a ton to me. And I should mention, this is actually a couple of weeks old at this point. I don't know if I've mentioned it before this season, but with this recording schedule that I've got going on for Season 2, I'm recording this intro on March 25th, which I believe is a couple of weeks at least before this will release. But moving on, you can also get in touch with the show on social media, whether that's on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, at SYYpodcast. You can contact me through any of those methods or through SYYpodcast at gmail.com with requests or with your own original short story. I enjoy talking with everybody, so don't be shy. Now, I said in some earlier episodes that I wasn't very good at the social media aspect of things, but if you follow now, you'll get some good content. Every Friday, for example, I post a video of how I made a sound effect from the upcoming week's story. And every Wednesday, you'll see a preview video of that day's episode. I'm actually doing something a little bit different this season, as those videos are starring my kids. And that, of course, is in addition to the facts and pictures concerning stories and authors that we present here on the show that I'll sprinkle in here throughout the week. If that sounds like something you might enjoy, give us a follow on your social media platform or platforms of choice. So moving on to this week, we will be featuring two original short stories. The first story is called Winter Sun, and it is written by Scout Rue. Scout grew up near Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and went to college four hours north in Eau Claire, where they earned a bachelor's in English literature. After that, Scout moved back to the middle of the state to Madison, the state capital, and has been there for two years. Scout's been writing ever since they've known how. A lot of Scout's stories feature magical elements, as you'll see today. Scout likes to explore the way in which magic can be used in storytelling to represent and grapple with real-world issues. Scout lives with their partner, Sydney, their cat, and their pet parrot. Which reminds me, parrots are super cool. My mom always wanted to get an African gray parrot when I was a kid. Anyway, Scout gave a little bit more insight into the story itself, but I'm going to save that until after the narration to avoid talking about any plot details ahead of time. This story was published in the spring 2018 issue of Barstow and Grand Literary Magazine. Barstow and Grand is, as the title suggests, a literary journal that features local writers in the Chippewa Valley, which is in western Wisconsin. 
Our second story today is a vignette of sorts, and it comes to us from Stories of Your and Yours patron, Kayla Knight, of the Get Grim podcast. You've heard me talk about Get Grim before, and I continue to endorse that show. I've really been enjoying what Kayla has done with it recently, with giving the background on a lot of folklore and fairy tales. Kayla has been writing and working as a middle and high school English teacher for the last few years. She's previously been published in Torrid Literary Journal and co-authored a few short works. When she is not imparting dubious wisdom in the classroom, she's writing, creating content for her podcast, or getting herself tangled in bits of yarn, whether they be figurative or literal. She's a native of North Florida, but also lived for a while in the St. Louis metro area in Missouri. She's always had a fascination with the odd and off-kilter, and she incorporates these elements into her own works. Her story today, entitled A Religious Experience, actually has a bit of a unique background compared to the stories that we usually feature on the show, It was part of a writing exercise for one of the classes she took while working toward her Master of Fine Arts. The assignment was to take an absurd perspective on a mundane experience. I won't give it away here, but you'll see where that goes. And today is the first time that this story will be presented to the public. Of course, all the links I'm about to share with you will be in the show notes, but you can follow Kayla on Twitter at GetGrimPodcast, and you can find her blog at TheNightWrites, that's K-N-I-G-H-T, writes.wordpress.com, And you can find her other podcast, that's my story and I'm sticking to it, at T-M-S-A-I-S-T-I podcast on Twitter. I know that sounds like a long and complicated Twitter handle, but really it's just an acronym for the uh, title of the show, similar to S-Y-Y podcast, just with, you know, a few more words. So this gives you plenty of things to check out after the show if you haven't done so yet. So now that you know the authors a little bit better and are ready to hear their stories, let's move on to this week's presentation. Winter Sun by Scout Rue Alice found Saturn on a Monday morning in March. On Earth, he looked like a little fox. He slept curled so that his head rested on his bushy tail. The day was brighter for the snow that just fell. The old soccer field took the appearance of a smooth white blanket. Forgetting Saturn for a moment, Alice recalled the previous spring when she was on this field as a goalie for her fourth-grade end-of-year soccer tournament. The memory brought a smile to her face. The soccer nets, after just a few seasons of wear, were now tattered, with holes and loose ends. And all the while Alice thought of these things, crouching in the snow, she watched the sleeping Saturn breathe deeply. In, out, in, with the slowly shifting colors on his coat, like fire dancing in a hearth. Over the next five days, Alice visited him there, and hers were the only footprints going to and coming from the field. Her parents didn't worry over where she went, so long as it was daylight. She lived in a house just down the street. She used to go to the park with her father and mother, but lately, and for a reason unknown to Alice, her parents did not like to leave the house. Her mother, in particular, she had not seen in days. She did not leave the bedroom at the end of the hall, and when the door was fully closed, the girl was not permitted to knock or enter. The door was always fully closed. Alice told all this to Saturn while he slept and slept and breathed and breathed, and all that time she felt they were becoming good friends. Alice told the little fox about her friends at school, like Penny Winchester, and her favorite things to learn, which were science and math. And even though Saturn never blinked an eye, she felt a warmth coming from him. While she talked, she pet his soft belly and a finger traced the outline of his large ears that were like red satin. 
On the fifth day, Alice walked home alone from the park. She saw a special report on the news channel. The man with the bald head and nervous expression told everyone that the planet Saturn had officially been declared missing. Alice was in the living room alone. In the bedroom at the end of the hall, she heard the low voices of her parents in conversation. At first, this news meant nothing to her. She did not know the fox by any name at all. But the more the man talked and showed pictures, it became obvious the one they were missing was indeed her friend. I have to do something, Alice said to herself suddenly. It was her belief that if Saturn was being searched for, he was in trouble. And if he was in trouble, she had to help him hide. Alice thought about leaving the house, but it was already dark outside. Nervously, she watched the window as if she could will the sun to come back with her mind. Soon she grew nervous waiting and decided to go. Glancing down the hall from her place on the couch, she saw the still-closed door of her parents' room as a sign of encouragement. There was no telling when they would come out. Often it was several hours, and she put herself to bed, so she was confident that she would be back before they knew that she was gone. As for her friend, Alice already had a plan. Once she took him home, she would put him in the third bedroom, which was otherwise unused. It was made perfect for the fact that Alice's parents never seemed to notice it, such that while her father made a habit of cleaning all the rooms in the house on Sundays, he never cleaned the third bedroom, never even looked at it. Alice thought maybe it had turned invisible since Christmas, which was the last time she remembered anyone being near it at all. So with that in mind, the girl went out the front of the house. Once on the porch, she shut the door carefully behind her. It was unfortunate for Alice that she overestimated the time her parents would be distracted from her. When she came back, both her father and mother were waiting on the couch in the living room. Her mother had the first words, which were, Oh my goodness, before breaking down into watery sobs. Where did you go? Why did you leave? How many times have we told you? All questions that Alice couldn't answer without the truth, which she wanted hidden, so she said nothing. She looked at her parents, flushed red, the color of anger and love. She looked harder. Her mother, once a round woman with a face that glowed, had become slight and breakable, acquiring a thinness like paper. Her eyes, closed now against her father's chest, were sunken and far away when open. When Alice's mother looked at her, Alice thought that she saw someone else besides her daughter there, and maybe that was why she cried so much to do it. But when her father looked at her, Alice thought he really saw her. She could tell because of the way he said her name, Alice, like someone just asked him, what is the name of your daughter? And he was so happy to tell it. He did not sound happy then. Alice, he said, we were so worried about you. We aren't mad, just worried. Don't you want to take off your coat? The girl was still bundled to the neck. Pom-pom hat, polka dot scarf, thick black coat, snow pants, boots. She looked ready to disappear into a blizzard. No, she said. The word came muffled through layers of fabric. I can't. Because if she were to take off the coat, her parents would see there, in the middle of their home, a fugitive planet, her friend, Saturn, curled against her chest. When they hugged her, she was surprised they didn't feel the movement of his small body, or the heat coming off him in waves. It wasn't long, then, before the girl was sent to bed. Once there, she crawled under the covers, still wearing full winter gear, which her father had not argued about any further. She heard him say to her mother later, let her have this. Maybe it's a coping thing. To which she replied, What is she coping with? You know, he said, all of it. Alice, confused, put it out of her mind. Again, she heard them go to their bedroom and close the door. When she was certain they would not leave, she crept outside to the hall. It only took a few steps to bring her to the door of the spare room. 
As if sensing his new home, Saturn stirred against her. Shh, shh, she said to the soft rustling. Finally, she took off her outdoor clothes and breathed easy for the first time in hours. At the center of the room was a crib. Given its placement, it seemed to Alice that the rest of the furniture revolved around it. The room was placed as follows. A bookshelf on the north wall, a small dresser on the south. To the west, near the door, was a tall wooden changing table her parents had made themselves. Finally, on the east wall was the long window with a rocking chair looking out of it. Here it is, Alice told her friend. The fox's eyes still had not opened. Your new home. She carried him around the room, holding him gingerly, showing him all the things that were his now. The rug was his for playing or rolling around or whatever else planets do for fun. The toys in the dresser were his, but it was too late at night for toys just then. The rocking horse wallpaper, big printed books, even the unopened box of diapers were all his too. You've had a long day, said Alice. With one hand, she pulled a step stool from the corner of the room and brought it next to the crib. She climbed up as she told her friend, It's time to go to sleep. Here is where you're all safe and sound. The next morning, Alice went to see him again before daybreak. It was a Saturday, so she knew her parents would be asleep late. She was delighted to see that Saturn was awake. With the night's warm rest and the pretzels Alice left him for when he woke, his coat seemed even shinier than before. It was all the girl could do not to be distracted by his beauty. But, she reminded herself firmly, there were more pressing matters that day. The pretzels she left were just crumbs now. Saturn's eyes were wide open. For a few hours of freedom, she spent introducing her friend to the rest of the room and taking care of him as she was once taught to do for someone smaller than herself. Saturn made no noise when she picked him from the crib and held him against her. She took some toys from the drawers of the dresser, a small yellow rattle, a set of bright keys on bright rings, a little piano that played its own tunes when prompted. All of the things were like new. Alice had not had them in her own early years. Saturn only took interest in the key rings at first. For a long while, he sat on the floor with them, Alice beside, biting them all over. Alice saw his teeth were pointed. She admired his focus, something she herself tended to lack. Even then, her eyes wandered around the room, their movement like calm water. She grew tired again as the first light of morning stretched in through the window. By the looks of it, Saturn felt the same, his roughhousing slowed to a banter. Soon enough, he rested his head on the blanket and closed his eyes. There was one more thing Alice thought to do before she left again for her own bedroom. With one hand, she slipped a book from its place on the shelf. It was long, thin, and hard-backed. With the other hand, she scooped up the fox by the belly and carried them both to the rocking chair. She told him, I'm going to read you a story now. Then, as if to clarify, So you sleep better. Saturn curled into himself, a familiar shape. Meanwhile, the pose Alice took was large on her. In the early morning closeness, she felt dwarfed by the book she held, such that she needed both hands to keep it open. She began to read. Once upon a time... For five more days, their routine was like this, undisturbed. Alice went in to look after Saturn at least twice a day, once early in the morning and once late at night. And she was, as far as she could tell, unnoticed by either parent. Alice realized on one of these days that before she met Saturn, she was quite lonely. Moreover, she realized how easy it was not to realize you were lonely when you were, because the coming on of it is a gradual thing. It reminded her of watching the sunset. One minute the sky is a washing colors. Warm, yellow-orange, blue-pink, and so on. But little by little, the sky darkens. Before you know it, it's night. And the only thing above you is the old dead light of the stars. 
On the sixth day, she couldn't help it. She told her father about the lodger. You stayed inside for the last little while, he said. This was how it all started. It was a lazy Friday evening in their new routine, ordering in pizza and eating in front of the TV. Her mother was not to be found, but Alice could hear music from down the hall. She said, Yeah, I guess. Any special reason? She paused, then shook her head and took a bite. Aren't your friends going to wonder where you went? He asked. Why would they do that? Well, weren't you seeing them all the time when you went to the park? No. You were all alone? No, she said, her mouth full. Well then, Alice. Her father put his plate on the end table beside his leather chair. He looked carefully at his daughter. Is there something you'd like to tell me, such as who you were with? The look on his face frightened Alice, who realized quickly that she could not lie her way out of this one. She finished her pizza, the two of them in silence. Then she asked a simple question. Promise not to tell Mom? The whole thing went much better than expected. Her father, sworn to secrecy, did not seem to be mad at her. In fact, he seemed excited at the prospect of aiding the fugitive planet. At first he claimed he couldn't see the fox there right in front of him. But after explaining and pointing and prodding, finally she saw her father's face lighten with conspiracy. I think it's nice, he said when they sat back down, that you're taking care of your friend in there. Tell Saturn he can stay as long as he needs. Thank you, Alice said, whose plate was empty but heart-filled. They spent the rest of the night watching reruns of the Pink Panther and laughing. Over the coming days, the coverage of the story of the missing planet increased. While her father read his morning paper, Alice saw on the reverse side a missing ad with Saturn's picture. She was too far away to read the description, but even so, the long fur and pointed snout of the fox was unmistakable. Meanwhile, Saturn was changing, growing, before her very eyes. When they first met, Saturn was about as big as a melon, small enough, certainly, to fit underneath her coat and be perceived as winter bulk. Now he was tall enough to reach the tap of the crib on his hind legs and rest his chin upon it. What, she wondered, was causing this change? Would he soon get too big to stay in the crib? What would she do then? Where would he go? Where would she? Such were the thoughts that plagued her during those days. And even after she left to go about the rest of her day, they taunted her. The bigness of the questions swelled up inside her, and soon she became sad and anxious. Her change in mood did not go unnoticed by her father. He approached her one day while she was on the floor of her bedroom playing a handheld game. Although her face tilted down because the game was in her lap, he couldn't help but notice it made his daughter look upset. He sat down cross-legged next to her. Pause for a sec? He asked. Saying nothing, Alice paused and looked up. What's going on? She looked down again at nothing in particular. She said, Nothing. Alice. What? He gave her a stern look of a parent who knows they're right and you're wrong. He said, The truth, please. So she told him everything that was on her mind. Afterwards, when she fell silent, she looked up again to her father. He appeared for a moment to be cast in stone. He was so still, his eyes focused on a point in middle distance. But when she called for his attention, his face softened. I'm so sorry, sweetie, he said while he looked at her. It sounds like you're really having a tough time. Is there anything I can do? Alice told him she couldn't think of anything, no, but would tell him if she did. Good, he said. When he stood up, his eyes fogged over again. He asked, See you for dinner, right? But then left, before Alice could answer. Later that night, after a meal of heated takeout leftovers, Alice's father asked her to take the trash to the curb, so she did. And when she came back, she was surprised to see that he had left the living room without turning off the TV. 
She heard his voice from down the hall. Then she crept to the door of her parents' bedroom, ever closed. The silver light of it underneath, like a sneer. Normally, she didn't eavesdrop on her parents' conversations. This was mostly due to the fact that she could only ever hear her father's side of it. Her mother's voice was too soft to hear through the walls. And with just one side of the conversation, it was normally impossible for Alice to understand. But this time, only one voice was enough for the meaning to be clear. With dismay, she realized her father was telling her mother what he promised his daughter he wouldn't. Alice couldn't quite place the reason why the thought of her mother knowing about Saturn filled her with a sick heat of fear. Her mother had never been cruel. Even so, perhaps if she knew, the girl told herself, she would be at risk for something worse than anger, such as the thin knife of disappointing the ones you love. No matter its origin, Alice was choking on the feeling, plus the betrayal from her father. Hot tears sprang to her eyes. Something in her chest coiled tight and screamed. She didn't know what would happen to her or her friend, but she felt the strong desire to run from it. Back in the living room, the TV continued to drone. In minutes, Alice made the decision to run away from home. Really, it was the only logical solution. In her room, after hearing her father, she saw the next few days unfold so clearly before her. First, her mother calls the police. They both take her and her friend away to separate confinements. She never sees or hears of Saturn again, and the place they take her to ends up being a jail because she is technically a kidnapper, and that's a very punishable thing to be. And her mother never speaks to her again, but her father writes her letters that she reads in the low light of a candle on her narrow bunk. She is alone once more, and will be that way for... and so on. The pending disaster continued to unfurl while she gathered provisions from around her bedroom. Her Game Boy, her favorite blanket, a small purse filled with coins. Funds, she thought happily, that would be enough for a hotel room, while she and Saturn found a new place to live. Next, she went to the kitchen, shuffling the items on various shelves in the pantry. In her arms, she took graham crackers, Oreos, and goldfish. She decided to have one more night in her soon-to-be former home with her soon-to-be former family. Her resolve strengthened with each step she took until she came again to Saturn's room. The bags are all packed, she announced upon her entry, but the girl's confidence wilted when she laid eyes on her friend. His back to her, his hair on end, propping himself up to look out the window. What's wrong, boy? Alice asked. There was no reply. Instead, the sound of scratching glass made its way across the room as Saturn pawed at it, whining. Are you okay? Is something out there? When the trickle of questions slowed to a halt, Alice just sat quietly and waited. The outburst wasn't long. When Saturn seemed to internalize the fact of the confines of the room, he stopped scratching. Then he returned on all fours to Alice across the room, tired-looking, and laid his head on her lap. Soon, she told him in a whisper, we're going to get out of here, then everything's going to be okay. Even though the glass was nearly frosted over, in the sky one could just make out the full face of the moon. When she came the next morning, Saturn was gone. It was early, before the sunrise, when Alice saw the empty room. All of a sudden, a heaviness came over her. The heaviness of nothing having changed, of being forced to stay in a place you don't think you belong. The backpack slid off her shoulders onto the floor. The surfaces of the room were layered in dust. Coat still on, zipped to the chin, Alice looked around at them, and there was not so much as a paw print there. The girl, unable to face the sight of her second betrayal, went to sit outside. Sometime later, the sky waking indigo, Alice's mother approached her. Alice, who felt hardened by her loss and time spent sitting in the snow, pretended not to notice. 
Her mother sat down beside her, wrapping her arms around her legs, head rested on her knees. Mother and daughter wore matching snow pants, a remnant of better winters spent together with sleds and cocoa and laughter that grew gray plumage in the air. I'm sorry, she said to the girl. I haven't been good to you. I haven't been anything. Alice's chest tightened, and she remembered her mother's voice as it continued on. It was soft and tired and light. We were so sure this time it would work. He lasted so much longer than all the others. He? The girl asked. She had never known the sex of her unborn sibling. He? Her mother said. A little boy. We were going to ask you to help with the name. She trailed off. The sun crept over the horizon. The pair cast twin shadows on the lawn. Dad told me about your friend, she said. How is he doing now? Alice shrugged and said, Whatever. What's that mean, whatever? It doesn't matter. Well, that's different from what I heard. Dad shouldn't have told you anything. I said not to, but he did, and now everything's ruined. The silence that followed was different from the others. Air shocked still. Suddenly, Alice grew very tired with it all. The world softened a little when she leaned into her mother's side. He went away, she said. I guess, to go back home. Home is up there? Mm-hmm. The girl pointed up into the east, above the winter sun that split middle sky. Her mother laughed a strange one-syllable sound. She wrapped her arm around the girl and held her close. It's not that I think it's funny, she told her. It's just that I know exactly how you feel. You do? Well, I imagine I do. Then how do I feel? Pretty bad. Alice nodded. Pretty bad. Another silence, this time kinder. It was full morning now. Alice did not remember the last time she saw her mother outside. I'm glad you're here, Alice said, because it was true. And when she said, quieter, I missed you, with tears freezing on her cheek, that was true too. A Religious Experience by Kayla Knight So much is dedicated to this single place. They dedicate time and privacy, and I am left on the outside, wondering, when will they come back? Why can't I follow? It's like going to church. In my limited experience, that's all I can compare it to. Something important happens in there, and I want to know. My resolve is set. I just need the opportunity. It comes sooner than I expect, and all too fast. Today is a rare day. The door to the shrine has been left open. My chance has come. Anxiety sets in and I sprint, adrenaline pulsing in my veins and ears. In my understanding, the white linen is significant, even sacred. I dress myself carefully before opening the lid to the focal point of the room, the snowy white bowl of water. This is the place where I understand the sacrifices are made. From watching the others listening to their experiences, sacrifices made here come at great cost. I pray for those who have come before me. I panic. I haven't brought an offering of my own. But then I look up, 
like a blessing from God, the others have left trinkets behind, scattered all around me. I pick one up, the holder of white linen. I toss it in with a dull plop. Feeling more ambitious, I reach for the fragrant bottle of incense one of them left on the altar near the bowl. It lands with the clink of glass and porcelain. Micah! I freeze. It's the woman's voice. The sound of her feet precede her, and I reach for the silver handle on the bowl, pulling it in a hasty attempt to finish my offering. A pair of hands snatch me under my arms, and I fly backward. Micah! No, sir! I don't understand her tone. I thought she would be proud. We do not play in the potty. Now, we've learned several times on this show before, sometimes things aren't what they seem. But sometimes, they kind of are what they seem, just not defined in the same way that we always think of them. Now, as I mentioned at the intro of the show, I've got a few notes from Scout Rue about Winter Sun. Scout wrote that story while reading a book of folklore. So, in a way, they wanted this to read like a fairy tale, at least in form. Scout was interested in exploring a topic, in this case a miscarriage, that could cause this kind of implosion in a family and what that would be like for someone like a child who doesn't truly understand what it is. Primarily, they were trying to create something light-hearted and magical on the surface, but which is darker and deeper the more the reader realizes what's actually going on. Thanks very much to Scout Rue and to Kayla Knight for their stories. If you've got a story to submit, you know what to do. Hit me up via social media at syypodcast or via email at syypodcast at gmail.com. As always, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Stories of Your and Yours. And if you did, I'd greatly appreciate it if you spread the word in whatever way you see fit. It really is the best way to support the show. Thank you again to all of my generous patrons and to Stacy, the most recent patron. There's plenty more room on board for anyone who'd like to join. So visit patreon.com slash syypodcast today. For a full list of music and sound effect credits, please visit syypodcast.libsyn.com slash blog. And next week, we're going to be hearing from our first Russian author who really needs no introduction as a legend of the short story form. Well, I'm certainly not going to introduce him right now, because that would spoil things, but I'll give him an intro next week. Until then, this has been Stories of Your and Yours. I've been Sean Ennis. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>